Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for March 2020. For more information on this podcast and other available resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma. I'm up in our games room. As I record this month's message, Bev and I are safe and happy as we are sheltered in place. I love that phrase that has become so ubiquitous during the season of this coronavirus pandemic that is touching all parts of the world. Uh, that phrase, sheltered in place, just reminds me so much and hearkens to the promise of Psalm 91 and verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, you get the picture of the shadow, the sort of the sheltering, the overspread a shadow of God sheltering us. And so I pray that you are sheltering in his peace, sheltering in his love, sheltering in his faithfulness, sheltering in the confidence that he is faithful to his word, that fear is being kept from you. Uh, you know, there is so much that is geared by the mainstream media to incite and inculcate fear in the people through this whole pandemic. I mean, we've had so many more deaths through other means, and yet, like last year, the flu deaths were far greater than what we're experiencing now. But this is a media-driven event, unfortunately. Yes, it is a serious event, but there is a concerted effort to create paranoia amongst people. And so I, I pray that you're not filling your mind with what the media is saying, but you rather, like I've preached often on Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had to say, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips for I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When he was speaking doom and gloom in Isaiah chapter 5, it was because he was or responding to or just simply repeating what he was hearing from the people of unclean lips. But when he got into the presence of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw that the whole earth was full of his glory. And I want to suggest to you that the whole earth is full of the glory of God, that God is working in the midst of this. And we're going to see his hand at work. And so my prayer for you for this month is that you will have eyes to see the invisible. And that's what faith is. Faith is the ability, according to Hebrews 11, to see the invisible, to see God at work, that your uh, the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. And we're going to look at that passage a little later in Ephesians chapter 1, but that you'll be able to see what others cannot see because you have been given spiritual eyesight to see what God is doing. Well, last week, Tracy and her family, Matt and the children came around and Friday night, we took the covenant meal and Bev had the grandchildren read Psalm 91 from the Passion Bible. And we took the covenant meal and I want to encourage all of you listening to this to in these days, take the covenant meal and stand on the covenant. Jesus gave it to us as he closed out the old covenant as the last uh, Passover feast was celebrated. 
And then he instituted the new covenant meal with the bread and the wine, which he said is the new covenant in his blood shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Bless God, we no longer have to celebrate the Passover. We have this new feast, this uh, wonderful covenant feast. We're under a new covenant, a different covenant. And so I encourage you to be taking the bread and the wine or the grape juice or whatever you use, whether it's crackers and water and or almonds and coffee, as we often do, and stand on the covenant. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so it's remembering the covenant that God has made with us in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, it's reminding him the God who gave us that covenant of the promises that he has made. And we are standing on those promises. We're believing for the fulfillment of those promises. And we're expecting to see those promises worked out in our everyday lives. Stand on the covenant. This is a great, great time to be taking us. And if any, you have any symptoms appearing of any fever or anything, then run to the covenant and stand on the covenant and don't be afraid to rebuke the enemy and to rebuke uh, a spirit of infirmity that wants to attach itself to your body. We have dominion and authority over all the works of the devil. And this is an oppression of the devil. Remember Acts ten thirty eight. It's becoming my favorite verse during this time. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Sickness and disease and pandemics are an oppression of the devil. And if Jesus were here, he would be healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. And we are his agents. We are his ambassadors. We are his body, the expression of his will and mind in the head. And so we can heal the sick in these days. We can take dominion over the the suppression of the enemy over the people of God. And so I pray that you will walk in strong faith. And like Daniel's prophecy, the people who know their God and the context demands that it's according to the covenant. The people who know their God according to the covenant will be strong and do great exploits. This is an opportunity for the body of Christ to rise up in its strength and do strong exploits in the kingdom of God, and in setting captives free from the oppression of the enemy. Uh, Before we get into the message, I do want to just say thank you so much to those of you who have continued to support us through this time. We've had to cancel a meeting or postpone a meeting for this month and another one uh, for April. And so we appreciate your faithfulness. We were so pleasantly surprised when this past week there arrived at our front door a cool chest from Omaha Steaks with uh, meat and goodies that had been ordered for us by a couple who support us every month. And we were just so blessed by that. That's that's taking Galatians 6, 6 literally. Let him that is taught the word share in all good things with the, the them that teach the word. I tell you what, fillet steaks and boneless pork loins and hamburger patties, etc., are sure part of those good things. So thank you to Dave and Betty for sending us that cool chest. Uh, and uh, thank you to all of you who have supported the ma- the ministry through this time. Well. 
I'm excited about this month's message. I know I'm always excited about every message, but I've spent so much time meditating on this word. And we're continuing in our series, Know Who You Are. And now we're moving. I've spent so much time on identity. And really today also is a lot about identity, but it's moving also into understanding our authority and what we have been commissioned in this earth to do when Jesus left the earth. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And then he commissioned his disciples as he had during his ministry when he sent out the 12 and sent out the 70 commissioning them to function in the authority and power of the kingdom over sickness and disease and all of the oppression of the enemy. And so we're moving into that. And so before we get into this month's message, which I've entitled our position of authority, and it's dealing with the position that we have, I'm going to go back to Luke 17 and just read these verses to you again from this passage that is the basis of our study, a passage that God spoke to me through on January the 1st of 2019 and said, you have to know who you are. And I felt the Lord saying, teach my people who they are. They have to know who they are. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? So the common word relating to the mulberry tree is saying, it is speaking through the voice of authority. And which of you, having a servant plowing and tending a sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will you not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again that Jesus in addressing his same disciples addresses them in two capacities. He addresses them as those that have authority and exercise that authority through speaking and those that are under authority and they exercise their position of being under authority by being obedient to what is spoken to them. And we are in both categories. We are both those who have the authority to to declare what we have been authorized to declare. But then we are also those under authority who are able and are obligated to do it. Why? Because the one who has authority over you has told you what you should be doing. And so if he told you what to do, you have the authority to do it and you know that he will back you up. And as we go through the subject of authority, we're going to get deeper into that whole concept as we go down the road. But I want to do remind us, you are both in authority and you are under authority. Okay. And that authority is exercised through what you speak and what is spoken 
to you. So now I want us to go into Ephesians chapter 1. And I have been praying this prayer over myself and over all of you and over my children, over my family through this time, because this is such an important uh, prayer uh, for us during this time. Listen to this. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is what we desperately need in these days. We are being bombarded, bombarded by information, which is not geared to produce faith in you, but rather to produce fear in you and to cause you to cower and become victims of the circumstances of this COVID-19 virus. Instead of us rising up as citizens of the kingdom of God in all of these things that he asks that we be given revelation in. First of all, the eyes of your understanding, and that's the New King James Version. I, I hate that translation. It's the eyes of your heart. It's beyond just your understanding. It's deeper than mere mental, rational knowledge. It's the eyes of your heart being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. We need hope. Bev and I have been going back to the definition of hope that I got from Kenneth Copeland years ago. Hope is the picture that faith paints for the mind to cling to. And then I added this based on the promise of God. Hope is the picture that faith paints for the mind to cling to based on the promise of God. And God's promise to us can so produce in us the picture of us seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that you see yourself in the hope of your calling. You're not called to grovel. You're not called to, into mud wrestling with the enemy. You're called into being seated together with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. Let's move on. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And that can mean two things. Number one, he sees us as his inheritance. But secondly, that our inheritance is a corporate inheritance. We receive so much of our inheritance through our relationship with other saints. And verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Listen, as believers, we are incredibly privileged. We are not as other men. As Paul said in First in Corinthians 15, we are not as those who have no hope. Because of the resurrection of the dead, we have hope because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work within us. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power when he worked in Christ, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He didn't just raise him from the dead to earth level. He raised him up 
into heavenly places and seated him where? At his right hand in the heavenly places. And he's seated there. He's not pacing heaven in, in consternation and fear because of what's happening in earth. He is seated because the victory is won. The battle is done at his right hand in heavenly places. Now listen to this. Far above. I love that phrase. Far above. Far above. Not just a little bit above. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. In other words, Jesus is seated in heavenly places far above COVID-19 virus or any other disease or any other pandemic, or any other plague that might come into this world. Far above, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, both in this age, but also in that which is to come. And listen to this. And he put all things under his feet, (laughs) all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church or for the sake of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So guess where? The feet of Jesus are. The feet of Jesus are in his body. If he's the head and he put all things under his feet, we are the body and all things are under our feet as his body. People, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the brilliantly good news of the gospel. The gospel is good news. And that's the news that we have to share with people who are in fear. And many are in terror at this time because of the circumstances around them. Oh, beloved, it's not time to be in fear. It's time to see yourself far above and all the dominions and powers and principalities, might and dominion under your feet. You see, the ultimate aim, and we're going to look at this in Ephesians chapter 6, the ultimate aim of the wrestler in wrestling against an opponent is to have that wrestler down on the ground with his foot on his neck. And that, says the word of God, is our position already. All things are under our feet because all things are under his feet. Isn't that right? His body, his church is the expression of what has been accomplished in Christ in being raised from the dead to be seated at the right hand of God. The tragedy is, as we've been looking through this whole series, when people don't know who they are, they tend to grovel. When people don't know their position in Christ, their identity in Christ, their position of authority, they tend to be beaten about and whipped about by the circumstances of life instead of taking their position. He goes on in chapter 2, and I want to read from verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. According to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19 and on, it is possible for us to to lapse again into living as the Gentiles live 
In other words, we can lapse again into walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You know, you can allow any spirit to dominate you and dominate your mind and dominate your emotions and and pollute you if you allow it to. But you have been made alive. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I have had occasion over the last few days to talk to a couple of my spiritual sons who have come to me with uh, observations that there are prophets who are saying that those of us who believe that there is no judgment under the new covenant are so wrong because they bring up Ananias and Sapphira. And I want to submit to you that Ananias and Sapphira no way could have been in this category of those who have been made alive together with Christ because were they made alive together with Christ, Peter could never have said to them, why has Satan filled your heart? They were people who were caught up in the euphoria of what was happening in Jerusalem amongst those people who were experiencing this new life in Jesus Christ. And they wanted to be joined with them because the the end result of because of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, it is that great fear came upon all people and nobody wanted to identify with them who hadn't experienced a genuine and true work of the Spirit of God. And so I want to submit to you that Ananias and Sapphira were not judged by God for what they did, but they were not believers. And so their deception opened the door for the enemy. Satan killed them, not God. Because God is a life-giving agent. Jesus said in John 5, 19, he said, uh, the son can do nothing of himself. Only what he sees the father doing, that does he. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. As the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so he has given to the son to give life to whomever he will. The father is not in the killing business. He's in the resurrection business. He's in the raising from the dead business. And he's given Jesus the authority. And then Jesus makes this categorical statement for the Father judges no one. I want you to know this. I am not a disciple of Paul. I'm not a disciple of John in the Revelation. I'm not a disciple of Peter. I'm not a disciple of James. I am a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus said, the Father judges no one. My theology is based upon what Jesus said. And he goes on to say, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I judge no one. So do you want to formulate your theology from the limitations of the understanding of New Testament writers, or are you going to get your theology from the Son of God himself? I take my theology from what Jesus said. The Father judges no one. And Jesus said, I judge no one. We are ambassadors of this good news of the gospel that Jesus pronounced 
and the Father judges no one. He is a life-giving agent. Even when we were dead in trespasses, verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, listen to this, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works left any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is your position? You are raised up to be seated together with him in heavenly places. You are far above all principalities and powers. And the works which he prepared beforehand for you to walk in are the works that Jesus walked in on this earth. In whatever sphere you express them, whether you are, in quotes, Christian, full-time Christian ministry, or whether you are in the business world, in whatever you are doing, you are carrying on the ministry of Jesus. You are expressing the kingdom of God in those good works. Now, Romans 5.17 is a verse that, as you know, was so mightily used of the Lord in my transformation from coming out from under the law into the revelation of grace. And Romans 5.17 says this, that if through the trespass of one death passed upon all men, how much more shall they who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In Romans 5, he's talking about Adam's sin and how because of Adam's sin, death passed on all men. In fact, he uses the word death reigned. The kingdom of Satan reigned in the earth. What Paul refers to here in chapter two as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. I cannot understand why Christians get so alarmed by the behavior, by the behavior of those who are unregenerate. They are just simply following the course of the world. We want everybody to behave like born again people. Don't be surprised at the behavior of those who are not born of the Spirit of God. They're following the course of this world. They're following the prince of the power of the air. Okay. And because of Adam's sin, Satan's through sin has had dominion over all mankind. But then the second Adam came, Jesus, and he died. And through his death, once and for all, he vanquished Satan that had the power of death. He vanquished sin that had caused all of us to walk in bondage. And now he offers to us the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And we are restored to a position of reigning that Adam had. That's your inheritance. That's your identity. That's your birthright as a believer. You are now reigning in life. And as I've told you many times, as I've shared my testimony, I was a totally and utterly defeated Christian. 
as I look at my journal before I got the revelation of grace, it was so negative. It was so full of self-condemnation, self-flagellation, self-hatred, because I never could measure up to the expectations I placed on myself and that I felt God was placing on me. As it was, it was all of religious expectations. It wasn't God, but it was because of the way that I was raised. And I still understood righteousness as doing the right thing, that to be righteous before God, I had to live right. I had to act right. I didn't know that righteousness was a gift. And I'm telling you, my brother and sister, that's going to be the dividing line in these days. See, according to Hebrews chapter 5, the problem with so many Christians is that they still need a wet nurse. They need somebody to teach them the, 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 the first oracles of the, the gospel because they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. As long as you are unskilled in the word of righteousness and you still think that your behavior determines your identity and your position before God, you are going to be the whipping boy of the enemy using condemnation to neutralize you in your living as a king in and reigning in life. We have to settle this issue that righteousness is not right behavior. Righteousness is a gift. Otherwise, you're going to find yourselves in the testimony of Romans chapter 10 that I found my testimony in when he, Paul says about the Jews, they being ignorant of the righteousness of God and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. You'll spend your life going about to establish your own righteousness if you don't understand that righteousness or right standing with God is a free gift that you receive. And here's the end result. If that is your understanding of righteousness, you will not reign in life. The word there is to reign as kings. You will not see yourself as seated on a throne in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. Now, what is the root of the problem? And I'm going to read some excerpts from a sermon from John G. Lake. In 1994, Kenneth Copeland Ministries released a book, John G. Lake, His Life, His Sermons, His Boldness of Faith. It's a wonderful book. I bought it then, and I was so blessed by it. But when I came to the sermon on page 57, as he is, so are we in this world. John G. Lake was preaching on 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. As he is, so are we in this world. Listen to some of these passages. The great majority of the Christian world is still weeping at the foot of the cross. The consciousness of man is fixed on the Christ who died, not on the Christ who lives. They are looking back to the Redeemer who was, not the Redeemer who is. On this side of the cross, we see all the marvels, a marvel of opposites to what we see in the Christ on the other side of the cross. On the other side of the cross, we see a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs, bearing our sickness, carrying our sorrows. He had nowhere to lay his head. Poverty was one of his characteristics. Nobody ever stops to think, or rarely so, that he bore his poverty, and what for? Answer. 
that through his poverty we might be made rich. Second Corinthians 8, 9. He bore our sorrows. What for? That we through his sorrows might be made glad. He bore our sufferings. What for? That we through his stripes might be healed. He gave his life a sacrifice for sins. What for? That we should know no sin. Then having completed the redemption or purchased the redemption, the redemption becomes manifest on this side of Calvary. I sometimes wish that I could turn the face of the believer the other way. You may observe that I very rarely turn the face of believers to the cross. Now, that's a bold and amazing statement. But listen to this. On this side of the cross is the victory of his resurrection, the marvel of all victories, the victory over death, by which he took death captive, a living man himself. He became forth the conqueror of death itself, having put all things under his feet. What an ascent into triumph. What a change in his consciousness. What a distinction between the Redeemer and the redeemed, no longer subject to death, but triumphing over it, no longer subject to humiliation, but now becoming the exalted one. Bless God. For in the ascension, we see the exaltation of Jesus. Instead of the man of sorrows acquainted with grief or sickness, we see the living triumphant exultant son of God ascending to the throne of God, receiving from God the Father what Jesus and the Father considered worthy of the suffering and death and sacrifice and redemption of Jesus Christ, a reward so great that Jesus himself considered it worth all his sufferings, all his buffetings, his earth career, his humiliation, his sacrifice and death, all to obtain it, the gift of the Holy Spirit. What we so often forget is the difference in the consciousness of Jesus before Calvary, where he said, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then post-Calvary, where he could say to his disciples, all authority is given to me. Why? (laughs) Because all authority had been given to him in heaven and in earth because of his triumph in the cross. Oh, my word. Listen to this. The marvel of Christianity and the wonder of this scripture that I called your attention to is this. It does not say as he was back then, so are we to be in this world. Don't you see that is where the world fell down, where the Christian life became submerged in a veil of tears and shadows and darkness and poverty and humiliation and suffering, all of which Christian mankind accepted joyfully. Because they believed they were exemplifying Jesus Christ and thinking they were glorifying him. They still visioned not the Christ that is, but the Christ that was. You get it? Now, listen to this. Sin, sickness, death under his feet. Hell itself taken captive and obedient to his word. Every enemy of mankind throttled, bound, chained by the Son of God. Mankind joined with him by the Holy Ghost in living triumph. Why, if I receive uh, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, of the Christ who is, I receive the spirit of victory and power and might and dominion of grace, of love, of power. Blessed be God of all the blessed estate of which Jesus himself is now the conscious master. All these things he gives to the Christian through imparting to him the Holy Ghost. Wow. 
And so his ministry in the spirit is a ministry in all the power, all consciousness, all knowledge, all grace, all victory, all salvation. Bless God. See, our consciousness has to be changed from a consciousness of the Jesus that was and therefore subject to all of these things in the world and the Jesus who is now with the consciousness of victory, of dominion, of being seated in heavenly places. I would lift your soul tonight in the Spirit of God into that glow and glory of the triumphant life. Listen to this. Do you know that it is only as your mind settles back into the humiliation and the suffering and the weakness and the fear and doubting of the dispensation that is past, that you grow weak and sickly and sinful. But as your soul looks forward and possesses in the present the glorious victory that Jesus acquired and exhibits and enjoys, does it rise out of its sorrows out of its sins, into that glorious triumph of the children of God. And then the last line of his message, all the glory and power that Jesus knows at the throne of God, all the wonders of his overcoming grace, all the marvel of the greatness of his power is yours and mine to receive through faith in the Son of God, yours and mine to expect through the faith of the Son of God, yours and mine to possess and enjoy and reveal to the glory of God. Now, do you understand why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that you would have a spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of him, that you would know what is the hope to which you are called and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the greatness of his power working in us who believe? That same power by which he raised Christ from the dead. And from Ephesians 2, we know that that power raised us up from the dead. Listen. Today, I pray for your consciousness to be renewed through the truth as you listen to this word, that something will be broken off of your mind, that the world has tried to put on you during these days through the media and through the the Twitter messages that are going around and the texts you are getting that are so negative. We have received texts from precious people that we have then discovered had no basis, and in fact, we've discovered that a lot of the Twitter campaign that has created paranoia amongst the people of God in America originated from China and from Russia and from Iran, and they were designed to cause the people to sink into abject fear and and paranoia. That, that was what it was designed to do. But child of God, I'm praying that your consciousness, your mind will be renewed through the truth of understanding your position, that you are seated together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now you understand. When Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We are putting our feet on the neck of principalities and powers. And what we need, therefore, is that the weaponry that he, he, he talks about, 
girdle of truth, truth of the revelation of the good news of the gospel, our helmet of salvation, knowing that our salvation is complete. Otherwise, the enemy is going to come at you and he's going to remind you of your failure and your sin and he's going to just accuse you. But if you have on your head the helmet of salvation, your head is protected by the salvation that you have from all of those thoughts that come at you of condemnation and guilt and shame and fear that the enemy wants to put on you and putting on the breastplate of righteousness and that breastplate of righteousness is knowing that you are righteous and so that when the enemy comes and convinces you that you aren't doing right and you need to do better you say no 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 I have on a breastplate of righteousness that has been given to me the gift of righteousness is mine and causes me to reign in life and then having the the shield of faith by which you can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy and if you look at that shield it's it's a completely surrounding shield it's not just the little shield that you hold in your one hand to deflect the darts it's a complete shield surrounding you you're surrounded you're surrounded by the shield of faith faith in the finished work of Jesus faith in the word of God man faith in this revelation that I'm sharing with you today and then the only offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and listen to me as we saw in Luke chapter 17 it's about speaking It's about your authority is in speaking. You can speak to this mulberry bush. You can speak to mountains. You speak to those under authority. You speak to a servant. You say to the servant, you gird your loins. You wait upon me. You serve me. You you don't say to the servant, okay, uh, you sit down here and I'll wait upon and serve you. No, no, no. You know your position and so you speak and you, you declare. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is useless to you if it's in the scabbard. You've got to draw that sword and you've got to wield it. And the way you wield it is through your mouth. The best illustration of that is in Hebrews chapter 4 where the children of Israel received the promises of the land. But you know this, that many of them did not enter in. Why? The writer of the Hebrews says, because of unbelief, he says, the word that was preached to them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Who heard the promises? All the people of Israel heard the promise of the land. But there were only two, Caleb and Joshua, who came back from spying out the land and declared the possibilities and declared faith to the people of God. The rest of the spies spoke defeat, spoke the impossibilities of what they had encountered, the enemies that they had seen, the giants in the land. And to Caleb and Joshua, the giants, they said, our bread for us. And as I can remember my daddy preaching and saying, the bigger the giant, the bigger the loaf of bread. Come on, people. (laughs) And Caleb and Joshua came back full of faith. But for the rest of them, they did not mix faith. What is the mixing bowl? of faith. It is your mouth. What is the beater in that mixing bowl? It is your tongue. If you don't speak the word of God, you're not mixing faith with what God has said. And I want to submit to you 
during these days, we should be very vocal as we walk around our homes, declaring what God has said, declaring the promises of of God, declaring our position in God. I know some of you are feeling so intimidated and discouraged by your circumstances, whether they're the financial circumstances or the challenges to you at this time when we're sheltered in place and we can't travel and we can't do things. And so cabin fever creeps in. This is a great opportunity for you to draw your family around you and to declare the promises of God over them and over yourselves and and walk around your home declaring what God has said and declaring your position. You are seated together with him in heavenly places. I have been declaring the promise of Acts 10 and verse 38 that Satan is the oppressor and the one who causes disease, and Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the healer. He is our healer, and we have been declaring him as our healer. Bev and I every day are declaring that he is our healer, and Satan is the oppressor, and Satan is under our feet, and every principality, every power, every dominion, every name that is named is under our feet. And the nations that are trying to cause trouble in the United States of America and around the world uh, that hate the freedom for which we stand in America, they are under our feet, every power and dominion and people who have given themselves over to Satan to spread lies and deception. And, and so they're under our feet. So take your position, take your position. How much more shall they who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Listen, it is as simple as that, receiving the gift of righteousness. And when you do, you reign in life. In my testimony, I share how at our Christian Businessmen's Fellowship, a lay preacher came and preached on Romans 5, 17. And in my mind, because of where I was at, I judged that he couldn't preach very well because he kept on repeating. The way to reign is to receive. The way to reign is to receive. And then he pointed and he said, are you reigning? And I felt every time as he pointed, like he was pointing at me. And I was getting so steamed up by his message because I felt it was directed right at me. But you see, that was just indicative of where I was. I felt totally defeated. I was not reigning. And he kept repeating the simple phrase, the way to reign is to receive. And I was offended by that. Because I was in arguing internally and saying, no, it's not as easy as that. The, the way to reign is through all the things that you do. It's, it's through achieving. It's through performing. That's the way to reign. But that word got so deep in my spirit that it, it led to me resigning from pastoral ministry and pulling that trailer to the seaside resort in January of 1982 and shutting myself away and saying, Lord, I want to know the truth. And Romans 5, 17 became the tipping point in my life. I I first had to recognize that I didn't know how to receive because I had been raised to perform. I had been raised and I believed that the Christian life was about performing, was about doing the righteous things instead of receiving the gift of righteousness. And I finally came to the place and it wasn't instantaneous. It was a growing revelation. As many of you have experienced, the the revelation of the gift of righteousness 
doesn't just sort of happen overnight because you might receive the gift of righteousness, but then you find yourself falling, falling back into patterns of performance and feeling the obligation to, to do things in order to be pleasing to God. And so it is a peeling back the layers of an onion, this revelation of the gift of righteousness. But I'm praying for all of you that this time of being sheltered in place will be a time when you are going to get into the word and be dissatisfied with feeling condemned and feeling judged and feeling like you're under the circumstances and for you to receive the gift of righteousness so that you can find your place identified with seated together with Christ in heavenly places reigning far above all principalities and powers that's your position man I encourage you as he is so are we in this world and we have his authority and if he said all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth then all authority is given to us the body of Christ in heaven and in earth in coming studies we're going to look at the sphere of our authority and how we exercise that authority and and the fact that many of us because we don't know who we are are asking God to do what he has authorized us to do and that is the biggest downfall of the body of Christ the church of Jesus Christ so I want to end off today in speaking a blessing over you And the blessing that I want to speak over you is that spirit of revelation and of wisdom in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your hearts being enlightened so that you would know the hope to which he has called you. And what is the the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church or for the sake of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I pray that over you during these days of being sheltered in place, that God will give you that spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then I want to end off with this. Also a prayer that I've been praying over ourselves and over everyone is the prayer of Ephesians 3 verse 14. But I just want to draw attention to the last two verses. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And you see, it's an exceeding power. Paul loves these superlatives, doesn't he? It is an exceeding power. And he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This could be the finest hour of the church of Jesus Christ. If we could all accept our position in heavenly places and be reigning as kings and be doing the works of Jesus, healing the sick, casting out demons, casting down the works of of darkness. Because we have been translated, Colossians 1 says, out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We are reigning as, as kings. Lord, I pray for your people. 
that that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you might be given to every one of us and that we'll walk in triumph, we'll walk in victory, we'll walk sitting and enthroned in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that we'll walk in dominion. Lord, I pray for the ministry of your spirit to us in revelation in these days. I come against the spirit of fear. I come against the spirit of the wisdom of this world. Paul said in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I take authority over the spirit of the world, which has crept into so many Christians' lives through them being exposed to the media so thoroughly in these days and the fear of the media and everything that the world is saying. And Lord, deliver us from the unclean lips of simply repeating what the world is saying. Help us to see what the the seraphim in heaven are saying, where we are seated, because the seraphim are saying the whole earth is full of his glory. And when we're seated with him in heavenly places, high and lifted up, and we're seated together with him in heavenly places, high and lifted up. And Lord, help us to speak what we're hearing in the throne room of heaven, not what we're receiving from the world. Speak what we're receiving in the throne room of heaven over us, over our children, over our spouses, over our marriages, over our businesses, over our finances, over our neighbors, over our friends, over everything in these days. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that is ours. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no hard labor to it. I pray that that blessing might be on the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In this way, God said to Moses and Aaron, you shall set my name upon my people and I will bless them. We receive that blessing, Lord, from your hand, that blessing of being seated in heavenly places, reigning in life far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that COVID-19 is under our feet. In Jesus' name, thank you for our position of victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you. Thank you for listening.